Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet, we run down the news of the week with a variable degree of snark. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett from Gestalt IT, and joining me today is a different co-host, uh, Zach DeMeyer. Zach, welcome to the show. Hello, Stephen. Happy to be here. So, Zach, uh, turns out today is National Milk Chocolate Day. So, um, let me just ask you, uh, what's your favorite kind of chocolate? Oh, man, that's such a great question. I'm a sucker for Cadbury. They make some, some great chocolate. How about you, Stephen? Man, I got to say, I apologize to my European counterparts, but I am a sucker for just a good old Hershey's milk chocolate bar. Uh, you know, maybe the one with almonds in it. Man, that is a good candy. Can't mess with the classics. Can't mess with the classics. So um, jumping into the news, Zach, uh, the popular workspace chat app Slack, which full disclosure, we're paying customers of, is now officially owned by Salesforce, which full disclosure, we're also paying customers of. Uh, that marks uh, 658,487 uh, companies that Salesforce has taken over uh, in the first quarter. And um, with the addition of uh, Slack to Salesforce, uh, the only difference we've seen so far is this dumb huddle feature. What do you think of this acquisition and uh, where do you think it's going to take Slack in the future? Yeah, you know, Stephen, I thought Slack was going to really hold it out. It seemed like they had a good idea. I love using it. It's a, it's a great tool and it makes a lot of sense to use for me. But, uh, you know, Salesforce has it now, and, and maybe they're going to go the way of, say, a Microsoft Teams and start incorporating a lot of video conferencing. Obviously, in this day and age, that's a, a very big thing. But, you know, there are a lot of other players in that field. So it seems to me like that won't be really the most profitable thing at the end of the day for Salesforce. It's kind of just like adding their voice to an already loud uh, room full of people shouting. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I think that there could be some good things that could come out of this. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we've seen some acquisitions recently where where some of the bigger companies kind of just take in the uh, the smaller company and then just incorporate their technology and you never hear from them again. And, and honestly, I'm like I said, I'm a big fan of Slack and I'd, I'd be really sad if it just became, you know, Salesforce chat R us or whatever, you know, they might might consider naming it. So I you know, I think I think it's got it's got some promise, but we'll have to we'll have to stay tuned and, and see what really happens. So Stephen, the uh, giant chip maker, ARM, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about them a couple times on the show. Uh, they just recently unveiled a new prototype of a chip, which features a 32-bit Cortex-M0 CPU and 456 bytes of ROM and 128 bytes of RAM. And, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, that's, that's, that's like nothing. Why is that important? Well, uh, this chip is printed entirely on flexible plastic, making it the most complex flexible chipset to date. Uh, they just recently featured uh, in an article in the journal Nature, uh, where ARM researchers said that their uh, metal oxide thin film transistors, or TFTs, uh, will pave the way for a potential internet of everything, where, for example, your milk bottle could uh, detect if the contents inside are spoiled and, and change the expiration date so that you know, hey, this is uh, bad milk. But Stephen, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, this is one of those things that does come up quite a lot at the tech field day events, and especially on the AI field day side. Um, if you want to be terrified, uh, imagine this chip was not a regular bogus processor with a hard-coded application, but was instead an AI processor that was using artificial intelligence to decide whether your milk was spoiled. 
that's happening. And uh, as we saw with companies like Brainchip, uh, these things are in the works. And uh, combining uh, tiny low power ML chips with this uh, plastic flexible chip uh, construction mechanism uh, with technologies like RFID, and uh, there's some cool power technologies that use uh, flexion as a way to generate current, uh, electric current, um, or uh, you know Peltier junctions to generate current based on uh, differences in temperature. Uh, we will soon have the Internet of Everything. Is it happening now? No, this is still absolutely a uh, a rough, rough prototype. Uh, like I said, this is a hard. They had to hard code in an application for it to run just to prove that it's working. But um, this is the direction that things are heading, and I will not be at all shocked to have AI-powered uh, milk bottles and, uh, and uh, cups and everything in the future. That's, uh, that's the future. It's not the Internet of Things. It's the Internet of Everything. So uh, another one of my favorite applications is in the news this week, and that's uh, 1Password, which, full disclosure, I'm a paying customer of because it's awesome. Um, 1Password just doubled their unicorn status to $2 billion um, following a $100 million round of funding uh, led by Excel and including a whole bunch of people, including Ashton Kutcher. Um, Zach, this seems to be a week for acquisitions um, and investments and things. Do you think that uh, raising the value puts 1Password on the table for some of the big companies to start uh, thinking about acquiring? You know, Stephen, I think that it does. And honestly, at, you know, ever... Ever since I got into, into security in the field of IT, I've only heard uh, security professionals saying, get a password manager, get a password manager, get a password manager. And it turns out they're right. It's uh, really the best way to keep all of your passwords unique and complex and, and still you know able to remember them because at the end of the day, you don't have to. Uh, some, some application can do it for you. And, uh, you know, just given the efficacy of password managers and the overall popularity, I would not be surprised to see someone like Microsoft, who, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we said they uh, just recently announced another acquisition of another, uh, you know, growing security company. And, and given this massive uh, valuation of 1Password, they, you know, Microsoft kind of would be one of the few uh, big fish that could really take a bite out of them. So, I would not be surprised to see, uh, you know, some 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 sharks circling in the water, if you will, uh, kind of kind of sniffing around one password just from the sheer, you know, um, usefulness of the tool itself. But uh, time will tell. You know, maybe maybe they will be able to stick it out and kind of just make it really a, a headway in the in the field of of password management. All right, Stephen. Up next, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about an old favorite of ours. Uh, the folks over at Intel, you know, just recently uh, came to light that they are are starting up a new business, uh, you know, focusing entirely on chip making called their Foundry Service, and they just announced their first customer, Qualcomm, the makers of the popular Snapdragon mobile processor, are in fact signing up to uh, get the first chips off the Foundry Services line. So Stephen, is this a big shift for Intel uh, or Qualcomm, or is it just another twist in the you know twisting, turning road of semiconductors? I'd say that uh, this announcement is all about in Intel and not about Qualcomm at all. Um, you know, quite frankly, Pat Gelsinger uh, announced that Intel was going to be producing uh, chips for other customers, uh, which, by the way, is a thing that Intel has done for a long, long time. But uh, 
you know, kind of uh, making it into a division, making it into a real focus for the company, uh, having this be one of the early moves from their new CEO says that this is a big deal for Intel or the future Intel. And uh, frankly, the future Intel needed a big customer, a name brand customer, a recognizable customer to show that there is faith in their ability to do uh, this, to deliver chips on behalf of others and compete with TSMC and Samsung and many others in this space. So yeah, they announced it. Um, but read between the lines and you'll see that there's actually nothing here yet. Um, Qualcomm has not announced which chip they're going to have Intel manufacture. And that's because the process node that they're going to manufacture on doesn't exist yet. It's Intel's 20 angstrom process node, which we're going to be talking about in a few minutes here. So essentially, there's nothing here at all except an announcement. But the announcement is important because it allows Intel to go out there and say, look, Intel Foundry Services is a thing. Qualcomm, who is a big, big chip maker, a fabulous chip maker that has others manufacture their chips for them, is going to have Intel manufacture their chips for them. And uh, this is all good. And it is. It's good news for Intel. Um, good, good on you, Pat, for getting a erstwhile competitor uh, signed on as one of your uh, partners for this venture. And uh, let's see what happens in, uh, oh, I don't know, two or three years. And we'll see if this is still news. So keep watching the rundown. We'll, we'll, we'll give you an update in a couple of years. Uh, did you hear, Zach, that there's some kind of sporting competition happening right now? Hmm. Um, it's called the... Um, Olympics, I think, uh, something like that in, uh, in, a, in a far off land uh, called Tokyo. Um, yeah, so the Olympics are happening. Um, and what better way to celebrate human athletic excellence than with a robot that sinks three-pointers? Uh, during the USA-France basketball game uh, earlier in the competition, Toyota rolled out a terrifying robot clad all in black that looks like a little bit like LeBron James in Space Jam. Um, and it proceeded to grab a basketball and shoot perfect, perfect uh, free throws and uh, three-pointers and half-court shots uh, very slowly, and NBA players just laughed and laughed. Zach, uh, what do we think of the uh, future robot overlord Olympics? You know, uh, honestly, having watched the footage, I've got to say, the robot does have a great shot, but I doubt he plays very good defense, so... You know, at the end of the day, it'll it'll be a really high scoring Olympics, uh, at least from a basketball standpoint. But, you know, we've uh, we've seen a lot recently by way of of robots that are mimicking human tasks, especially athletic ones, you know, uh, with uh, Boston Dynamics and and really kind of all of the things that are coming out of there. It's a uh, you know, the robot overlord is uh is a very real possibility here in the next next few, uh, you know, let's say decades. Let's hope it's decades because. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ready for, uh, for uh, being taken over by, by robots quite yet, but we'll get there. Uh, but until then, you know, I think, I think we can just uh, let this, this guy shoot his, his, uh, his nice shots and, you know, celebrate that, that we do have the capability to do that. It's uh, quite cool. So, you know, Stephen, it's, uh, we've, we've talked about some cool things, but let's, uh, let's dig a little deeper into, into some of the stories that are coming out of this week. And uh, this first one, I think, is, is probably going to be pretty interesting for you, especially. Uh, we just recently heard from AMD that uh, they, you know, have announced their earnings from the past quarter. And, you know, they saw an explosion in revenue, nearly doubling their results from Q2 last year to a whopping $3.85 billion. 
notably, their enterprise embedded and semi-custom segments saw some of the largest growth, booking a $1.6 billion revenue this quarter alone, which is just massive. And ultimately, they're just continuing to chug forward at pace uh, with plans to close up their acquisition of Xilinx at the end of the year. Steven, what do you make of these massive numbers coming out of AMD? And do you think they're going to acquire Xilinx in the coming months, or is it going to be something that's going to be closer to the end of the year? Yeah, so there's kind of two things going on here. Um, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about Intel's news here in a minute. So let's just focus on AMD. Um, good on you, AMD. Nice job. Uh, they are firing on all cylinders. Uh, Lisa Sue is doing a great job. Uh, the company is developing uh, some of the best uh, x86 processors on the market. You know, the, the Zen 3 architecture is just killing it. Uh, they just have a good, uh, good product, good company, good everything. Um, AMD uh, breaks out their revenue basically into two different reporting segments. Uh, there's the computing and graphics segment which includes the Ryzen processor that you recently bought, as well as the uh, uh, Radeon uh, GPU that you bought to go with it. Uh, and that segment has uh, really performed well this quarter. Um, you know, income is up to uh, over 500, you know, $526 million on the quarter. Um, and that compares to only $200 million last quarter. So, wow, that's incredible. Um, you know, and that's uh, based on, uh, you know, $2.25 billion of revenue uh, in the quarter for, uh, for Q2. So again, uh, in, you know, they, they went out there and sold over $2 billion worth of Ryzen's and, and Radeon's and, and uh, amazingly, that's not the big story. <laughs> the big story is what's going on on the other side of the business, the, what they call the enterprise embedded and semi-custom business. Now, this business is only $1.6 billion on the quarter, but it's risen to $1.6 billion from only $500 million in the same quarter last year. And uh, income from this uh, segment has grown from a paltry $33 million last, in the same quarter last year to almost $400 million in this one. In other words, Epic is Epic. Uh, that's, I think, what's driving this trend. And I think that that's the real story. So if you ask analysts, they say, yeah, uh, Ryzen's awesome. Um, you know, Radeon's awesome. It's great that the, you know, AMD's selling GPUs and, and chips to enthusiasts. Uh, and it's also great that they're actually making more money on those. So average selling price is up. But what the real news is, is that they're killing it in the data center. And this takes it to Intel because this is Intel's bread and butter. And AMD is, I guess, eating Intel's bread and butter. Uh, we don't usually report on financials, but it's important, I think, from that perspective for our listeners to think about the fact that AMD's server uh, business is really, really growing like crazy. So you're not the only one looking at those epic servers and saying, wow, that looks like a really nice alternative. That being said, uh, Intel actually reported some strong numbers too. So there's also another thing that's happening here, which is that frankly, data center builds are still incredibly strong and uh, even strengthening. So this means that all these other companies in the space um, that make memory and storage are going to be rising as well. So uh, many of us are looking to companies like Western Digital uh, to see where they're going to be reporting Micron, 
you know, who are also participating in this data center space and theoretically benefiting from this. And not to mention the big guy, NVIDIA. So the news out of AMD is just great. Congratulations, nice job, nice work. Uh, I don't see it changing in the next few quarters. And uh, frankly, if you want a nice chip, uh, maybe that Ryzen is a pretty good one to buy. But uh, that being said, there is another question here and that's the Xilinx acquisition. So uh, AMD announced uh, about a year ago that they were gonna acquire Xilinx. Um, these acquisitions take a while. And Xilinx is just keeping on humming. Uh, they also reported really good numbers. Uh, and their acquisition, by the way, is tied to AMD stock, not cash. So effectively, AMD doing well makes Xilinx happy because they're getting even more money from their acquisition. And um, you know, so so the 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 bottom line there is 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 it gonna happen? Yes. Does it make sense? Well, I guess that's the big question. You know, I, I was never 100% convinced by the Xilinx acquisition, frankly. Um, we'll see where it goes. Uh, we'll see if it works out. Um, maybe AMD can make FPGA a valuable data center component. Um, we'll see. And when will it happen? Well, it'll happen when it happens. Uh, these things have a tendency to drag on and on. I'm thinking of when Nvidia bought Mellanox and it took you know about a year and a half to get approvals and then suddenly, boom, one day, Acquisition is happening. I think that's what we're going to see with Xilinx. So uh, AMD didn't really talk about it. Xilinx isn't talking about it. Nobody can talk about it. When it happens, it happens. And uh, then comes the hard part, which is making the thing work. Uh, will it work? We'll see. We'll see. Zach, uh, we talked last week about Enable, the MSP-focused uh, arm of SolarWinds. Well, Enable officially rang the bell, uh, announcing their first trade on the New York Stock Exchange after splitting from the parent company in their IPO last week. In an interview with uh, CRN, uh, Enable's CEO uh, shared some thoughts on the company moving forward, including plans to continue merging and acquiring companies much like SolarWinds did before them. Zach, amid uh, recent attacks carried out against SolarWinds, especially those targeting MSPs and other organizations with multiple organizations below them, uh, will Enable be safe from attack now that they've left the mothership of SolarWinds? You know, that's an excellent question, Stephen, and honestly one that I, uh, I regretfully think is, is probably going to be the case. Uh, as, as we saw, you know, back with the attack on SolarWinds last year, some of the biggest, uh, you know, impact from that attack was on MSPs and and other similar organizations. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, the, you know, it's uh, it, there. The you can only hope right now that Enable is is much very much aware of that. And and you can you you can see in the uh, in the interview that that Pakliuka is is very concerned about security, and it's something that they're going to be really concerned about in the, the coming months. But Ultimately, you know, being concerned about security and being ready to be able to fend off an attack are two very different things. And uh, I, I don't really know everything that's going on within Enable right now, uh, you know, besides celebrating, obviously. But the, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll really see if, if they're going to put their money where their mouth is and, and uh, you know, put, put the resources behind actually preventing these attacks. And 
you know, I think at the very least, they are going to be targeted. It, it, it seems only inevitable, given everything that's been going on recently in, in that sort of realm. So I, uh, I would not be surprised uh, to at least hear that, you know, they, someone attempted an attack on them or something similar. But uh, my, my sincerest hope is that they, they are ready and able to, or enable, enabled to, uh, you know, take on this attack and, and uh, or any potential attacks that come in. Because at the end of the day, you know, as we saw coming out of the SolarWinds attack, the the actual impact that these these sort of things have on MSPs is huge because you know they rely on on tools like RMMs and and other tools to deliver the services they provide to their customers and at the end of the day if that tool is what's hamstringing them you know not only does that affect their business but it affects their credibility and it affects their ability to you know continue to bring in new customers and and I just really hope that that's that's something that they really keep in mind, you know, moving out of this kind of triumphant time. So, Zach, the other question that comes up with this enable story is sort of what happens with SolarWinds. Uh, it's important to remember that SolarWinds is not enable. Enable is a spin out from SolarWinds, an IPO from within SolarWinds. And it's also important to remember that SolarWinds has new management. Uh, I think the biggest fallout from the SolarWinds hack was the uh, retirement of uh, Kevin Thompson and uh, the replacement with a uh, new CEO and the new CEO's new direction for the company. Um, I'm hearing that uh, SolarWinds is pivoting a bit themselves to more of a developer-centric mode, and we'll see where that goes with the company, the, the, the root company of uh, Enable. So uh, just like Enable is gonna be focused on the MSP market, SolarWinds is gonna refocus uh, maybe away from their traditional market and the traditional tools. And um, we'll see you know, if that means that SolarWinds has a different future as well. And then finally, you know, I mean, SolarWinds brand still is affected by this uh, hack. And so we will see again, if consumers uh, well, customers, not really consumers, since this is more B2B stuff. Uh, if customers are willing to still go with SolarWinds and give them their trust after having it be bruised in this hack. Um, to me, frankly, the thing that gets me always is that this is really not a SolarWinds story. Um, the hack that happened to them could have happened to almost anyone. And if you think that that hack was about SolarWinds, you're wrong. It's really about the state of IT tools today. And if you think that your tool is safe, well, just wait. I'm sure it'll happen. Wonderful. All right, Stephen, we've we've queued it up quite a bit now, and we've we've reached the moment of truth. As the biggest news this week is coming from Intel, who announced their chip making roadmap for the next few years up to 2025. Uh, you know, they have come under fire, uh, including on this program, for losing the microprocessor fabrication race to rivals like TSMC and Samsung. But as we've said in the past, there's more to this story. With Intel renaming some process nodes and laying out a roadmap down to the Angstrom scale, are they ready to make a comeback, Stephen? Sure sounds like it. And um, let's start with maybe a little bit of the FUD about Intel. So is Intel behind other chip makers in terms of advanced process nodes? Definitely, 100%. They even admitted it themselves. Uh, the truth is that Intel has not kept up with some of the advancements and that TSMC and Samsung are both ahead of them in terms of producing new uh, advanced process nodes. 
but they're not as far back as you might think. And that's simply due to naming. So it's important to realize that many of the process node advancements, you know, you've heard of, you know, seven nanometer, five nanometer, four nanometer, even three nanometer uh, from some of these other companies. Uh, a lot of these things aren't actually five, seven, four, three nanometers. And, and that's a really bad state of affairs. Effectively, we've gotten to the point now where we have a, a, a effective nanometer measurements. If you remember a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we talked about IBM announcing a two nanometer uh, scale process node that they had developed. And if you remember, my comment on that was that, yeah, surprise, this isn't actually two nanometer. It is the equivalent of two nanometer because of the transistor density that they're packing on the wafer. But the actual lithography is still, if I remember correctly, 10 or seven nanometer. In other words, they're actually not uh, doing what they claim to do, but effectively they are. And that's the same thing that's going on with TSMC and Samsung. So are they ahead in terms of manufacturing? Yeah, but are they as far ahead as it sounds? No. In fact, Intel's current 10 nanometer process node is actually more dense than TSMC and Samsung's seven nanometer process node because of the advancements that Intel has put into this product. So effectively, um, what Intel is doing is renaming based on density instead of based on actual process lithography. And that sounds like a bunch of blah, 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 but just basically hear me out. Um, you know, there was a time when, uh, you know, you knew how big the engine in a Mercedes or a BMW was based on the two numbers on the back of the car. You know, if it said, if it ended in 50, then it was a five liter engine. Now, you don't know because they're all turbocharged and it may be a four cylinder, like, you know, with turbocharging and, and, and effectively a five liter. That's kind of what Intel's doing here. Uh, Intel's new uh, process node, they're just calling it seven. Thankfully, they're not calling it seven nanometers like their competitors. Their new process node called seven is basically their process node called 10. But as I said, it's actually ahead of TSMC and Samsung's seven nanometers. So sure, call it seven. Uh, the Intel process node that they're gonna call five or four uh, is gonna be ahead of TSMC and Samsung's five or four. And Intel is projecting out that they're gonna actually have what they're calling 20A, which would be two nanometer or 20 angstrom process node and an 18A in the future. And if you recall from that Qualcomm story, the 20A is the one that Qualcomm is theoretically going to use. But those don't use two nanometer lithography. What they do is they basically turn the chip on its side and stack things up in order to get more density. So it's effectively the same that you would expect from a two nanometer process, even though it's kind of not really. Um, frankly, I love this. I think that it's great that Intel is um, using numbers that we will be able to effectively compare to each other. It reflects the reality of modern chip making. And it also shows that uh, there's a lot more to it than just the size of the lithography on the chip that matters. Intel's doing some other really cool things here too, including stacking um, silicon on silicon, which is something that uh, most other companies aren't doing. They've developed some pretty cool techniques there to be able to sort of sandwich things together and pack more into the same chip. 
they're doing a pretty neat thing uh, in terms of separating uh, the way that the power is delivered to the chips, to the semiconductors on the chip in order to make it more dense. Uh, and they deserve a lot of credit for this. The truth is Intel has been innovating even as they've been slipping in their deliveries. Now that they've got Pat Gelsinger in charge and he's uh, putting his foot on, down to the metal and he's uh, trying to right the ship, I think Intel actually has a very strong chance of being the process node leader on their schedule, which is 2025. Uh, I would not be at all surprised if Intel ends up leapfrogging TSMC and becoming the leader in process nodes in 2025. And what'll that mean? Well, one thing it'll mean is that everyone's gonna be lining up to use Intel Foundry services to manufacture their advanced chips. So uh, you heard it here first, Apple will have Intel manufacture their chips in 2025. Let's see if that happens. I think it will. Yes, indeed. And especially, you know, hearkening back to the statement you had made earlier about trying to make their naming convention a little bit more modernized and a little bit more updated to match that of their competitors. I think going in strong with, uh, you know, hearkening down to the angstrom scale is definitely going to turn some heads. And I think, like you said, uh, it's certainly going to help boost their uh, boost their uh, their customers waiting at the door of the Intel Foundry services in the future, for sure. Well, thanks for joining me here, Zach. It's nice to have you on the rundown. Uh, looking forward to seeing you again and again and again in the future episodes. Uh, remember that the Gestalt IT Rundown is available as a podcast as well. Uh, just look in your favorite podcatcher for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Uh, and we post it on YouTube every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time. Uh, just go to youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video to find it. We also post these videos on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash gestaltit, and uh, we'll be posting these on our LinkedIn page going forward. We will be back next Wednesday to talk about the IT news of the week that was. But until then, for myself, Stephen Foskett, uh, for Zach, and for all of us here in the Gestalt IT Global Headquarters, here's wishing you and yours a happy chocolate-filled day.